Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Thursday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the Morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Thanks for being with us. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. And you can always join the conversation at 46862. Again, join the conversation at 46862. Thoughts on Nick Saban retiring? We'll get to that in headlines. A lot of coaching news. In fact, in headlines this morning to cover. Uh, also on the show today is a lot of, a lot of different topics we're going to dive into. So Purdue-Fort Wayne rallied, comes up short last night. Uh, on the men's side, women get a big win. Plus, Marcus Freeman's cheap buyout. There's a, a big coaching search going on, and maybe not necessarily Alabama, but how it could tie in. His cheap buyout. Not great for Notre Dame. We'll get to that. Plus, the Bears can keep Justin Fields, or they can take a risk and win. I think Justin and I will disagree on this topic. I'm looking forward to it. I'm just debating everything you say about the Bears. <laughs> Well, there's so, many, my goal. there's so many different avenues you can go, so it, no shortage of scenarios with the Bears. No. Uh, the NCAA shutting down an absolutely outstanding bowl idea. Uh, in hour number two, despite Marcus Freeman's buyout, Notre Dame, compared to, say, I don't know, Alabama even, has positioned themselves well in the new college football playoff era with the portal and NIL and everything. Uh, plus, Colts GM Chris Ballard is addressing the media. Three things I want to hear him discuss. Actually, I guess it's four when I when I add in the fourth thing. But four things I want Chris Ballard to discuss. And a Chiefs defensive end who is complaining about his playoff game being on Peacock is taking matters into his own hands. Hmm. And hey, before we leave you at the end of the show, Tide Pods. People oh, eating Tide, Tide Pods. Pods. Really? That is back. That's back? That is That's bad. a thing yes. again. Mm-hmm. Oh, Unfortunately, can't wait. <laughs> can't wait. How was your Wednesday? Uh, it was good. I uh, had another long day and and was working and picked up my phone and had all these alerts from different uh, media things about a guy named Nick Saban hanging it up. So that kind of hijacked the afternoon evening hours yesterday yeah i was out at dinner with my wife and my phone was like blowing up and i'm like okay either something really bad is happening at the station <laughs> which could be possible or something crazy happened something in sports and happened, so yeah. i i checked my phone i was like oh nick saban retired wow um and it's pretty crazy because you you look back and i don't know if i said this at the start of the season that did I did I say like oh how much longer is he going to coach especially in this new era of college football right which is exactly kind of what happened but seventy two years old I mean most of us that can retire are retired at seventy two mm-hmm. and mentioned yesterday about the new era of NIL and how it's basically buying players and all that stuff apparently he was meeting with prospective assistant coaches up to an hour before he met with the team so. I, I don't know. I, I think I think the new era definitely is made for younger coaches, but at 72, how much did Nick Saban have left? I mean, he, he wants to have some semblance of a retirement, doesn't he? Yeah, and it was reported, I think, earlier this week that he had bought a, a membership at a Florida country club, and a lot Ooh. of people pointed to that as, oh, that's it. He's retiring. And, well, that is exactly what happened. So uh, the, the number of people, and you look at it, college sports and we'll have more on this conversation but we've had a big turnover when it comes to the coaches over the last 
couple of years in, in college football and college basketball, at least at the top of the top programs. So this is another fascinating coaching search, but uh, reports already in. Now, I think the obvious people, if you are Alabama, that you talk to re- to replace him, you talk to Dabo. I know that, that Bama fans were chaining that they didn't want Dabo, which I'm sorry, that's absurd. I mean, he played Alabama. Well, I think he's, it's the rivalry between yeah, Clemson and Alabama that they had. He's that, one of the best coaches. Right. Uh, but obviously, you talk to him. You talk to Lane Kiffin. If they both say no, which... Possible. Uh, yeah, very possible. The This candidate, I think, is the next name on the list that they're already apparently meeting with. And that's Dan Laning, the Oregon mm-hmm. head coach who was apparently already in Tuscaloosa last night, oh, uh, according to wow. reports. So... The Oregon head coach, again, used to be Kirby Smart's defensive coordinator at Georgia, so it makes sense for him to move back to the South, and Oregon, for whatever reason, has become a stepping stone job for coaches, which is just hard to believe. Yeah, I don't think it's established itself yet as a end-all for coaches, like you would think it would be, but it's not, and we'll see if something happens with, with Dan Lanning. I, I know that Steve Sarkeesian has been thrown around. I just, I don't think he has the resume to be a head coach at Alabama. I know he has ties to Alabama, big ties to Alabama, but people say, well, look at his success at Washington and USC and Texas. I'm like, he had one good year this past year at Texas. He had one good year out of all those stops. So I'm not sure what the, the infatuation with some people with Steve Sarkeesian is, but if I'm sure if the top four or five candidates say no for Alabama, then then maybe they get down to Sark, but people are saying, well, well, who would turn down Alabama? Well, who would want to follow Nick Saban? And as we discussed, even as recently as yesterday, talking about Feinbaum and, and the crazies that call into that show. Huh, that's going to be must watch today. The Yes, the, the pressure cooker that you're under at Alabama is unlike anywhere else in the entire country in college football. I'm sorry. It, it, yeah, people used to say, "Oh, it was it was South Bend, Indiana, or Ann Arbor, or whatever." It is Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and I don't know how many people are going to want to live or leave really cush, good jobs to go into that pressure cooker where the expectations are absolutely insane. But we'll see. We shall see. Other names to throw out there. I love these lists because it's really just agents contacting writers. Um, but Dan Laning's buyout twenty million—that's a lot. Yeah, but Alabama will figure it out. Kalen yeah. DeBoer twelve million. Dabo Sweeney's buyout is only seven and a half. James Franklin's buyout, which why is he on this list? Six million dollars. <laughs> Mike Norvell, another name I've heard get a lot of traction at four million. And Marcus Freeman's buyout at just under four million dollars. We get to more on that a bit later on this hour on the show and what that means for Notre Dame, because I don't think it necessarily means anything for Alabama, but I do think it means something in terms of other possible coaching searches. So we'll I agree that in a bit. I mean, that's, that's what you're going to see inevitably a trickle down effect from, from yes. what this, whoever gets that job is then going to trickle down to maybe, I, I don't think Marcus Freeman's going anywhere. No, but let's, let's, let's preface that. Could it get him a potential raise if his agent, floats his name out there to at least maybe get into a discussion with a, a program. That's how you take advantage of that situation. But we'll get more into details on, on all this later on in the show.
Elsewhere in coaching searches, this reported, what, this morning, not too long ago? Yeah, Adam Schefter at the top of the hour coming down with this uh, chef bomb, if you want to call it, with Bill Belichick. They're expected to part ways, Belichick and the Patriots, after 24 years together, of course, six Super Bowl titles as well. So that expected to come today. Not really a big surprise. We felt like this has been coming since the Colts demolished the Patriots in Germany, that that was, that was it. That was the last gasp for Bill Belichick in New England. Now, they let him ride out the season, which there are rumors that he may not, but uh, props to the Patriots for just giving him his due to run this out. But it was clear a change was going to be made. Just amazing what we've gotten in really the matter of 12-plus hours. You yes. have arguably the greatest coach in college football history retire and arguably one of the greatest coaches in the NFL in some people's minds. And then you have a coach who's on a select list to win titles in college and pro and Pete Carroll, who is no longer going to be the coach with. I still don't understand Seattle. what this what it, like. Was it, it's a firing, but not a firing. Is it, it's something that he wants to do. Is it the team that was trying to push him? I, I don't know. The wording is just very interesting in this whole I, thing. I would agree. He's going to still remain with the organization, but he's out as coach after 14 seasons. Of course, won a Super Bowl as well. The Seahawks 9-8 and eight, missed out on the playoffs second time in three seasons. Unspecified advisory role for Pete Carroll moving forward. Eh, I mean, when you go from Russell Wilson to Geno Smith as your quarterback... I know Geno Smith was impressive last year, but it's Geno Smith. Um, that said, you know, one sub-500 season since 2011 for Seattle, and that was two years ago, going 7-10. and 10. The expectations apparently are very high, but this, this could be a Pete Carroll move. I mean, again, he's not, he's not a, a young guy either, so... How much was this was was his decision type thing too? So I, I, I don't know, but it's it just been a very interesting day uh, over the last couple of days, the twenty four hour news cycle, and we're seeing some of the best coaches in their respective sports hang it up. Yes, and Carroll had a season with the Jets. He had a couple seasons with the Patriots, then went to USC. Obviously, completely transformed that program and became. One of the all-time great college head coaches based on his success at USC. Then comes to Seattle and has success as well with uh, Russell Wilson coming in uh, a couple years after Carroll was already established in Seattle. So it just, um, it's been it's been quite the ride for all these coaches. It's just kind of hard to believe, right? But you're also, it's it, it was inevitable to see some of these guys, you, know, you look at the Nick Saban, that's 72 years old. Pete Carroll is in his 70s. Um, Bill Belichick, is he in his 70s? I mean, yeah, 71. This is when these guys step back. These, as, as much as football has mattered to these guys, they're not going to work into their mid-70s, late 70s. I mean, you have no Joe Paterno type people in here that just want to keep working until they die or are forced out with other issues. And it's understandable. It's understandable, for sure. I, I mean, the shock of Nick Saban retiring yesterday wore off pretty quick for me because I'm like, the dude's 72 years old. Yes. Like, what did you expect him to keep coaching until he's 80 years old? Uh, no, I never saw it. So 
Who takes over in Seattle, New England, Alabama? Going to be fascinating storylines to watch. Is it as simple as Mike Vrabel in in New England? I think he's the clear candidate, clear favorite. Does he want to be go to back to New England? Does he want to coach right away? I don't know. But um, a lot of a lot of storylines with all three of those guys. Meanwhile, the Chicago Bears make some moves yesterday. They decided to keep head coach Matt Eberflus. I think that's a mistake. They did fire offensive coordinator Luke Getze. Uh, this was expected for them to make that move, and now it comes down to what they decide to do at quarterback. I know we'll get into it later on in the show. You're one that thinks Flus needed to be fired. My dad is one that thinks Matt Eberflus needs to be fired. But you look at a dude that is very well liked in the locker room, very well liked by the GM, and took a team from three wins to seven wins with not a franchise quarterback. I think he he's doing a good job. Is he is he better than Mike Vrabel could be? Probably not. But I think he's deserved and earned a third year. I think the big question is, what do the Chicago Bears do at quarterback? You keep Justin Fields. Do you trade Justin Fields? Do you keep Justin Fields and draft a quarterback? Um, questions, questions, questions. And we'll see what happens. But I think first things first, they need to hire a good offense coordinator, which I think will be indicative of what the bears are going to do, because I think it's an easier sell to offensive coordinator candidates. If you're saying we're going to draft a quarterback and we're going to start from scratch offensively with him and you will build the offense as opposed to Justin Fields is going to be your quarterback and you need to build an offensive around him. So Eberflus just 10 and 24 in two seasons with the Bears. I mean, they were terrible last year. I mean, but, but that's not on him. The, the roster was terrible. I think you show improvement. I think you deserve a year three. Last year was a teardown. You're tra- trading guys mid season to shed salary. And then I think if you get a better quarterback, you're a playoff team this past year, which is very impressive because going from three wins to that, even to seven wins is marked improvement. Now, ask me this time next year, and I will probably be <laughs> saying what a big mistake it was to keep out of Eberflus. We'll see. Uh, right? That's what I fully expect you to say. That, that's why we'll talk more about this later, but I think kicking the can down the road, maybe not the best move they can make. Elsewhere on headlines in the NFL, all pro teams are out, and congrats to Jesse Bates, who is named all pros. The top... <laughs> Whoa! Free safety. Excuse me. You say those sneezes come out of nowhere. Like there's no time yes. to hit the the cough. There was no time for that. It was just came out of nowhere. Mid sentence. That's huge for Jesse. But all pro is where it's at, man. I mean, anybody can make the Pro Bowl, especially once guys opt out and all that stuff. Pro Bowl means nothing to me. But you're named all pro. That's big time. That's only a couple dudes at each position. So congratulations to Jesse Bates. Well deserved. Got paid in Atlanta and then put up an all pro type season in his first year with the ATL. So really great season. Congrats to him after Cincinnati essentially would not invest in him long term. He he left, got his contract. Now he's an all pro. So that's that's phenomenal. It's worked out pretty well. And now he's got his buddy Austin Mack with him. That's right. Austin Atlanta. Mack signed earlier this week uh, to the Falcons in the NBA last night. The Pacers pick up a one twelve one hundred four win over the Wizards. Again, Tyrese Halliburton out, uh, leading the way for the Pacers. Miles Turner. Uh, had a good performance, 18 points, 13 rebounds. This is a different-looking Pacers team, but you still got to beat the Wizards with or without Tyrese Halliburton. They took care of business last night. And the Comets 
on the road. First of three against the Rapid City Rush. And unfortunately, not a good start for the K's. They fall 4-1 to one last night to open up uh, this one. Tyler Parks had 31 saves in this game for the Comets. And the K's will return next week uh, for a series of games, weekend series uh, with Wooster. So that will come up next week. But the K's trying to pick up some points, pick up some wins on the road this week. Not off to a good start. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. Also, don't forget you can stream us, 1380thefan.com via the 1380thefan app or on your smart speaker as well. Uh, Purdue-Fort Wayne had chances last night, came up short with an incredible rally. They were down 27 points on the road at Youngstown State. End up falling by, what, eight on the road. Uh, They they cut it to as little as four, I believe. Uh, Quentin Morton-Robertson and and Rashid Bello led the charge. Don's come up short. Now you have a a top logjam at the top of the standings in the horizon with a handful of teams at four and two. So the Don's after that four and start have lost that margin in the league. And we'll see what they can do moving forward as Purdue Fort Wayne is back in action coming up on Friday night at Robert Morris. Don's were out rebounded 46 to 30 last night. And this was always a concern for me uh, heading into the season and seeing the, the Don's in the non-conference is their post play. And Eric Mulder has been solid, you know, 11 points in 25 minutes, but 25 minutes that Mulder played yesterday and had four rebounds. And this is a very much a four guard lineup with its starting lineup. And last year you had Rob Petty as a pure post. And you had some guys coming off the bench to relieve him. But I, I, I thought the depth at the forward position was lacking last year. And I think it's even worse this year. And you get into the grind of a league and you have to be able to rebound. You have to be able to defend the post and get some buckets around the basket with big dudes, especially when you play other programs in your league that do have depth up front. The, the, the Dons basically have none. And I think it's going to cost them more often than not. We saw that again last night, giving up 93 points, out rebounded by 16. They only turned the ball over six times. But when you get out rebounded by 16, uh, that's going to be pretty difficult. And you send Youngstown State to the line 30 times with 26 makes. So the Dons now all of a sudden, after that 4-0 start, now 4-0. And I think last night began a streak of, what, four straight games? on the road for the Dons? Uh, Four out of five. Four out of five. They get IUPY at home a week from yesterday. You're right. But at Robert Morris on Friday, and then you have IUPY in Cleveland State, and then you have to go to Northern Kentucky, a team that's owned the Mastodons uh, for the majority of the last several years. The Dons beat them in late December at home. But it's a challenging schedule right now for the Dons if they're going to stay contenders, at least for the regular season title in the Horizon League. They're going to have to steal some of these on the road. So PFW again, four and two in the conference, joining uh, three other teams, Green Bay and Oakland at five and two. So the Dons can at least tie for the top of the lead coming up with their game on Friday night at Robert Morris, a, a game you got to have Robert Morris one and five in league play. So the Dons with an opportunity to at least move back to the top of the standings uh, coming up Friday night, that game exclusive on the stream at 1380, the fan.com. If you want to listen in, to that. 
46862, again, is how you reach us on the text line, 46862. Coming up on the other side, Marcus Freeman's cheap buyout. Not great for Notre Dame. While he's a fringe candidate for the Alabama job, it's really what other people do in this coaching search and how it impacts Marcus Freeman and the Irish. A lot of questions when you look at this coaching search and the investments Notre Dame has made, but yet they have not made that investment in Marcus Freeman long-term just yet. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your question, comment, rant. Uh, someone texted in. It's brutal. Sark at Alabama. I'll drink to that. Ouch. Ouch. The, uh, issues with Sarkeesian, which I, it sounds like he's... Gotten yeah. over with his alcoholism, which he was very public about. But uh, I just, I, I don't think Sar- Steve Sarkeesian has had enough success elsewhere to say he's. One good season at Texas. Right. Doesn't make you a really good candidate for the most high profile job in the country in college football. He was okay at Washington. He barely coached a season and a half at, at USC. And it was twelve and six overall at USC before going to Texas, and had struggled at Texas prior to this season. So I just don't look at him as as a viable candidate. But great offensive bind. I mean, done did great things with Texas, or excuse me, with Alabama when he was offensive coordinator. But going going from the head coach at Texas to Alabama is even a huge step up. I mean, yeah, Alabama is at the top of all the programs. In college football, and then I would I would say that there are about a dozen teams that want to be Alabama. Yeah, <laughs> that aren't Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia. I mean, USC. I would put I would put Georgia up there. I would put Georgia up there with Alabama now. Uh, I mean, right now, but yes. I'm talking overall. But I mean, it's it's only been since Saban that Alabama has been Alabama, at least in recent memory. I remember in college. Alabama was trash. Yeah. They had like one good year with Brody Croyle yeah, in 2003. I, yeah. So it's not like this, this, oh, it's been decades and decades for Alabama's excellence. I mean, they were back in the day, of course, and then now with Saban. And that's the big thing, because as you talk about is being a blue blood in college basketball is winning national titles with multiple coaches. And they have with Bear Bryant, of course. But what I'm saying is, is you look at Ohio State that went from from uh, Urban Meyer to Ryan Day, and even if you go back, Jim Trestle and had that success, can Alabama be that? That's why how important this hire is. It's not automatic that Alabama stays where it is. They'll have the resources, but that doesn't guarantee winning. And I think no. what Ohio State's done the last 20 years, over 20 years, has been impressive because it's been across several head coaches. Every coach has had success. Yes. Even Luke Fickle as an interim had success. Right. Absolutely. So it's going to be fascinating to see uh, text coming in four six eight six two CK. I time it up wrong with my commute every day. Any chance at circus tickets today? No, we don't have the circus circus yeah, tickets. That, Brett Rump has that's the circus the sports tickets. rush. Four, this six. is a circus yes. every morning from seven to nine, but we don't have circus tickets to give away. Someone else saying Dabo to Bam- Bama. I mean, as we said in our headline segment, that should be the obvious first choice they, they at least reach out to because he he went to Bama. He played at Bama too, right? Is that correct? I do believe he played um, at Bama. And it's not like Clemson 
Clemson's been struggling by Clemson standards the last couple of years. And but as they're you mentioned, still above what they've been historically. Correct. But there's some angst, I think, around the Clemson program. Once again, Dabo showing he doesn't want to really dabble in the portal, which he's going to have to adapt or die, whether it's at Clemson or Alabama. But I, I, I he would be on the forefront of my list if I'm Alabama, but it sounds like Dan Lanning, at the very least, is first up, at least, to get an interview. So, from Dan Lanning, the Oregon coach, former Georgia defensive coordinator, who's had some success at Oregon, but it seems to be a place where everyone can win. Keep that in mind, right? When it comes to him and the Alabama job. Um, He is apparently the leading candidate, at least at this time. But what does this mean for Marcus Freeman? He's a guy who's showed up on some lists as far as Potential candidates. In fact, there's an interesting article I read last night talking about how Marcus Freeman and what he's done at Notre Dame most closely aligns with Nick Saban's style as far as looking at some some analytics. Um, it was an interesting kind of write-up of, of stats as far as the um, similarity to, to those of Saban himself. And Marcus Freeman's the top of that list as far as coaches since 2000, based on their team's average percentile ranking on offense and defense, passing and rushing. And it's Marcus Freeman. And that's not really a surprise. Notre Dame wins in the trenches. Uh, That's what Nick Saban did for years and years and years. It was not really until later on when he he added Steve Sarkeesian that the, the offense really opened up to where it is today. I'll be very surprised if Marcus Freeman is anywhere else to the season. I know there's been a couple of texters and, and uh, Twitter going, well, what's the difference between Marcus Freeman and Mike Woodson? Well, the difference is, is my, Marcus Freeman had zero head coaching experience and comes in and is at 38 years old doing a, a really good job so far at Notre Dame. Year three is going to be very telling. Uh, in terms of the traje- overall trajectory under Marcus Freeman. But this is a dude that was thrust into a role that, quite frankly, I think if he gave him privately, would say he wasn't ready for. And he's had to learn on the fly. Mike Woodson is almost 70 years old. He's mid-60s, I think. And has a wealth of coaching experience. It, he should be held to a higher standard than Marcus Freeman. And I think, to be honest, Marcus Freeman has achieved more at Notre Dame than what Mike Woodson has at Indiana in my opinion, in two years. So that's the difference. There's multitude of differences. But I think this is purely leverage for Marcus Freeman. If it does trickle down to him as a job candidate for, say, Clemson, if Dabo moves on, Dan Lanning, uh, if Dan Lanning moves on at Oregon, Washington with Kalen DeBoer, Florida State with Mike Norvell, I could see his name coming up. But Marcus Freeman... I don't see as a guy that's ready to leave Notre Dame yet, but I can guarantee you he could use it as leverage to get a fair payday. And this is where that comes in, right? So I I don't think he is going to be at the top of any list. Had success, but still very early on in his tenure. He hasn't had the, the level of breakout success like a Dan Laning. Mind you, I'd say it's a lot tougher to win at Notre Dame than it is at Oregon in, in college football today. So I, there's no guarantee that Dan Laning can can win at the level that, you know, to keep up with Kirby Smart, for example, if he gets the Bama job. The real impact of Freeman here and why we're talking about it is buyout projected at about under $4 million, which somehow is similar to James Franklin, which is mind-blowing. Props to James Franklin's agent on that. Uh, one, for getting him mentioned, and two, for <laughs> having that cheap of a buyout. 
But that's where this comes into play. So if any coaching cycle over the next handful of seasons, as long as Notre Dame is is checking the boxes and for next year that's winning 10-plus games, right? Making the college football playoff. Seems very attainable, yeah. the schedule they have. Um, Marcus Freeman's always going to be a candidate if there's any change at Ohio State, period. I mean, he I feel he'd be the top candidate yes. at Ohio State. Young, dynamic, has proven he can coach, hasn't proven yet he's an elite coach in college football. He needs to do that, Notre Dame or elsewhere, but he's definitely on the radar of his of his alma mater if and when Ryan Day moves on. I don't think Ryan Day leaves Columbus to take the job in Tuscaloosa, but at some point he could be in that conversation. So I, I think Marcus Freeman, you look at, okay, his buyout's low, but it should be low because he didn't hadn't proven anything. And you could still say, some people will say he still hasn't proven anything. So I think that that, uh, that buyout makes sense. Is he a factor in the trickle-down effect once Alabama makes a hire? Maybe. But I also think he doesn't want to leave Notre Dame yet. I think the only job that maybe would pique his interest would be Ohio State. I would agree with that. I think it is interesting, though, when you look at his buyout, and again, he's got to prove it. I'm surprised there hasn't been some sort of contract extension after this season. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying they need to rush to that, but Notre Dame made a commitment to to get the OC that they wanted in Mike Denbrock and pay top money. They're paying top money to, to keep Al Golden. Freeman's worked the portal. He's improved year over year. I'm not saying he needs some mega contract extension, but I'm maybe a little surprised they haven't like gotten out in front of this to try to make sure he's locked in more long term. What was his initial deal? Was it four years? Um, five years? Uh, I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, I mean, five-year contract. We don't know how much money. Oh, okay, so he's... Uh Looks like estimated two and a half a year million. Is that right? The latest I saw was about five million annually, including bonuses. Okay. So, but again, we won't actually know, right? Because they're a private school. They don't have to release it. Yeah. Very true. But I just don't think that Marcus Freeman's getting paid about what he should four or five million dollars a year whatever he wanted a five-year contract he's not facing a contract season next year he's not even facing it in 2025 so i don't think you need to extend marcus freeman at this point you can give him a raise if he does have a team start sniffing around him which i could see but i i, I don't i just don't think he's uh he's proven enough at notre dame to be honest to get a a lucrative extension but if Notre Dame values him and thinks the first two years of the C of his of his tenure were enough to convince you that he is the long term answer at Notre Dame to follow Brian Kelly, then maybe Notre Dame does throw money at him if another team comes calling. And again, that the only team I think Marcus Freeman is going to leave for would be Ohio State. Ohio State, and I think that's where Notre Dame is is at least in a position of strength. I mean, for whatever reason, Oregon's become the stepping stone job for coaches, and it, I would be shocked at this point unless Dabo or Lane Kiffin or some other higher level level coach, 
you know, is interested and, and wants to go, Dan Lanning, it seems like that's his job because they get the, the young up-and-coming guy. There are no guarantees, though, right? Winning at Oregon is a lot easier than winning at Alabama. Now, winning at Oregon is going to get tougher when they right. move to the Big Ten, but that's just how that works. Uh, text rolling in at 46862. You just praise Ohio State for their success in the last 20 years, but you won't put them on the same level as Alabama. Well, yeah, because Alabama has won six national championships <laughs> over the last 20 years, and Ohio State's won two. I, 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 Alabama's at the top. Ohio State, in a handful, like probably 10, 11, 12 programs, are probably right below as but, far as what's happened the last you know, 15 or so years. Giving credit to Ohio State for having success over multiple coaches is not the same as does not mean that they're at the top of college football. Okay, just means that they've been able to string together good coaching hires and have success. That's the big question with Alabama. If they get it wrong, then they'll slip. I mean, we could see Dennis Francione and Mike Price and what Mike Shula and whoever else all over again. Boy, and that's why I almost wonder if Alabama doesn't go for the top of the top of the top because no matter who takes over for, for Nick Saban. It's going to be impossible to stay up to those standards, but who knows? Maybe they do, but it is the, it is, it is very much going to be a, a puzzle as whoever gets hired at Alabama, that opens up a spot at that program who slides in there, which opens up a spot, at another program. We thought we were past this, but with this news, now we have to figure out what happens. And if, if an Oregon after Dan Lanning potentially leaves, if Oregon is infatuated with Marcus Freeman and says, we'd give you $8 million a year to coach in Eugene, I don't think Marcus Freeman jumps at that. But Notre Dame may have to throw an extension his way or throw more money his way. I'm not saying necessarily that Marcus Freeman deserves an extension or more money yet. But if another team values him to that extent and Notre Dame values him, you will have to pay. And that's what I see likely happening through this process, one way or another. Whether it's this year or next year, if, if there's a change made at Ohio State or some other top program and, and Freeman gets thrown out there as a candidate, then you're going you're gonna to see Notre Dame pay up. We'll see if it happens. 46862. The text line to reach out to us, 46862, another name being thrown out, Lincoln Riley. <laughs> no. He's, he's, he's got to figure out a way to, to win at USC. But is, is, are we also judging him on one season or two seasons? I mean, he was 55-10 and 10 at Oklahoma. Yeah. And, and he's had one really bad, uh, bad year by USC standards this past year. Has had one year of sub... Uh, of sub nine wins. And that was eight. I mean, I, I, Lincoln Riley, 74 and 18. I think he's done enough to be in the conversation. I think we're judging him a lot on 2023 and I get it. He, he also followed a, a coaching legend at a program and had success. Yeah. Which is hard to do. Hasn't won a game in the college football playoff. That could be a problem, but I, I think Lincoln Riley should be in the conversation. Young guy, think he could be the coach for the next 20, 25 years if he has success at Alabama, had success at Oklahoma, has struggled at USC, but I think that's as simple as hiring a competent defensive coordinator could shore up a lot of those things. But we'll see. 
one other th- factor in all of this, and he's not going to be the head coach. Don't mind, uh, you know, <laughs> don't worry. Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese. Uh, not going to be the head coach, but what does this mean for, for his future? He bet on himself leaving Notre Dame um, and then going to Alabama. I'd say it was a pretty good year, up and down. I mean, he's well thought of. What does he do next? Does he stay on staff with the new head coach? Does uh, he go be the elsewhere? Head decision. Be yeah. the, do they retain Tommy Reese? It's going to be an interesting move for him as well. Coming up on the other side, the Bears can keep Justin Fields or they can take a risk and win. We'll debate what Chicago should do at quarterback next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM, 46862, your text line number. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. Also, please stay on topic. We're, we're not going to get to your text if you're off topic. It is weird how sometimes we get texts that are like we're not talking about Purdue. Right now, appreciate the text. We're yes. not saying that. It's just weird. So I don't know if they're delayed sometimes, or and that could be folks just want us to talk about certain things. Uh, I don't know, but it, it was kind of weird when we're talking about one thing and then we have a text that come in. So like, we haven't even talked about Purdue basketball today. It's really nothing I to talk about, about today. Like about time you don't talk Purdue. Also, UConn will be the new number one, barring anything drastic happening. Also, shout out Butler getting the win at Marquette last night. Butler's been sneaky good this year, and then they had a bit of a swoon around the holidays. Everybody mm-hmm. thought, okay, well, that's it. They're exposed. And then a big win at Marquette yesterday. So, Bad Mata getting a, a I, I would say, what, his first marquee win at Butler? I mean, winning at Marquette is pretty impressive. Snapping, I think, a 20, 21, 22 game home win streak for uh, Marquette. So, congrats to the Bulldogs. Uh, in the NFL, we already covered Bill Belichick out. So, again, stay on topic. Uh, the Bears, they have a decision to make. So they've decided to keep Matt Eberflus. I think that's the wrong move. Uh, they did fire offensive coordinator Luke Getze. I think we both agree that was going to happen and was needed. Now it comes down to what do they do at quarterback? Now, they're saying different things about what they're willing to do. In fact, they've even mentioned they're open-minded about the top overall pick. But they've also said that uh, they're not going to rule out keeping Justin Fields and still using their number one pick on a quarterback, which is <laughs> very confusing uh, when you look at it. So to me, this is the point where if you're Chicago, is this is very similar to you find yourself in a relationship and it's good, but it's not great. And you're not wanting to take it to the next level, whatever that means for you. And so... You're kind of on the fence, but like, yeah, it's fine. And you just decide to stick with it. And it's fine, but it's like, it's not what you want, right? And that's where Justin Fields, to me, is at this point. He is, he is fine, right? But he's not going to get you to the next level. You're not, you, there's no, there's no reason to commit to him long term. Because you've not seen anything from him that says, oh, this is your quarterback of the future. And, He's going to blow you away and, and get you to the playoffs and win a Super Bowl. Yes, he had a, a good season by his standards. Year three was a critical season. He needed to show out and, and do some things, and I think he did that. He was less of a running quarterback after running for over 1,100 yards the previous season. Uh, less of that, a lot more throwing the football. Completion percentage went up by a full percentage. Uh 
best touchdown to interception ratio he's had. Sacked this fewer times in last season, so there was improvement there. But again, he's he's fine. Like you're, there's no reason to commit to him long term if you're the Bears. And and I draw this back to other teams, and maybe not a perfect example or examples here because there was another established quarterback and a young guy up and coming. But you have the 49ers. They ditched Alex Smith, who led him to an NFC championship game. And went to Colin Kaepernick. They get to a Super Bowl. You have the, the Chiefs with Alex Smith. Go figure. Uh, had success. Got him to the playoffs, but you drafted Patrick Mahomes. You turned the keys over to him, and he's become the most dynamic quarterback in NFL history. You have the Eagles. You had Carson Wentz, and he was the guy. He got hurt. You get to a Super Bowl thanks to Nick Foles. He comes back, still the guy, and then... He's starting to struggle. He gets benched. You have Jalen Hurts. You try him out. He gets you to a Super Bowl. Now, I understand the Bears don't have that other guy in the roster. That's essentially what they're going to do if they draft a quarterback. So, to me, just move forward now. There's no reason to have two guys on the roster. I don't get why Poles won't rule out keeping fields and using the pick on a quarterback. That, that to me, tells me you already know the answer. You're just, you're just too afraid to pull the trigger. Well... No, I think what it, what's going on is you're keeping all options open. Ryan Poles knows exactly what he wants to do. Okay, I, I maybe that's blind faith in in Ryan Poles because it is the Chicago Bears. But Ryan Poles isn't going to come out and say we're done with Justin Fields and we're going to trade him because then all of a sudden you back yourself into a corner, and now you say, okay, well that's going to be the decision, and you're going to go with it, and there's no going away from it. I think Ryan Poles knows exactly what he wants to do. I would like to think so, like to hope so. Um, and he did not commit to Justin Fields yesterday, which I think is very, very telling. About Justin Fields, he said, quote, I did think Justin got better. I think he can lead this team. But at the same time, there's a unique situation where I have to look and our staff has to look at everything. And that's exactly what we're going to do. And that's the same with free agency. We're going to look at our free agents given my personnel staff, do evaluations, and again, make the best decision we can for this organization to take the next step. I think the biggest thing we're, we're, we're missing here, and a lot of people are missing, is maybe the Chicago Bears don't think Caleb Williams or Drake May are good enough to take it number one. And that's a reasonable thing to say, because I have doubts about Caleb Williams. I watched enough USC games this year to go, this guy's supposed to be the number one pick? And I think there's a fair amount of people in the NFL that are kind of questioning that. Yeah, the attributes, the skill is there. But look at what happened last year with Bryce Young. Bryce Young was the it guy. Okay, C.J. Stroud was kind of the other guy. And C.J. Stroud is the best of the lot so far. And I watched him against Indianapolis and the throw he made where he's drifting off to the right and has to throw across his body to tank Dell for a touchdown is a throw that I've never seen Justin Fields make in three years in the NFL. Ever. So that, to me, tells me C.J. Stroud has a higher ceiling than Justin Fields. But the Chicago Bears have to figure out, is it worth taking a, a, a quarterback at one? They better like that quarterback. Is it better off if they trade that pick? It worked out for them last year in terms of getting personnel. Do you keep Justin Fields with a, for another year? Not necessarily that you're convinced that Justin Fields is the guy, but maybe you just don't like your options at the top of the draft. But there's always going to be another option in another year. You have to try now. It's it's win now. 
you don't have the luxury to just sit and blow a year and waiting for the next group of quarterbacks to come in. This is the NFL. You can't you can't just wait around and and blow a year doing nothing. No, because that that's what you're suggesting. I get it. No, well, I'm saying at the same time you can trade that number one, but you could take a, a quarterback at eight or fourteen. Yeah, or no, 20. They, they don't need to to go number one because I, I agree with you. Caleb Williams is an electric player, but if he doesn't have a number one wide receiver to throw to, we saw we saw what happens. Right, we saw that last season. He he's gonna hold on to the ball too long and. There are going to be some problems. He's going to try too hard to do too much to make up for that deficit. Now, when he had Jordan Addison, different story. Thankfully, the Bears have a number one wide receiver in DJ Moore. So you at least feel comfortable in that aspect. Yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a number one that, uh, that most other teams don't have at that level. But I think you look at doesn't necessarily mean the top quarterback taken is going to be the best quarterback. And that's why I think maybe the Bears are looking at this. Is, does it make sense to be one and pick Kayla Williams? Can we drop down to three and take Jaden Daniels if you think that's your guy? It, does it pay to drop down a little further and take Michael Penix if you think that, that that's your guy? I mean, you look at 2018, the number one overall picker was Baker Mayfield. Ja, uh, J- Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, has proven to be the best quarterback in that class, was taken with the last pick in the first round. Josh Allen was the third quarterback taken in 2018. You look at 2020, yeah, in that respect, Joe Burrow, probably the best quarterback of that class. But Justin Herbert was taken at six. Jordan Love was taken at 26. Jalen Hurts wasn't even taken until the middle of the second round coming off that injury. So that doesn't necessarily mean that the best quarterback is taken at number one. And I think maybe that's what what the Bears, now their, their track record of taking quarterbacks is terrible. Yeah, so, you, you failed to bring up Mitchell Trubisky at number two right. and Patrick Mahomes at number 10 and in not 2017. Taking Patrick my, my thought is whatever <laughs> the Bears do will be the wrong pick for sure, but it still doesn't change the fact that you're not locked into that number one. A text coming in talking about the minute you announce your intentions to lose leverage, you, you, you lose leverage. They aren't saying anything until it's time to make a new move. Chicago Bears want to entertain offers for Justin Fields. If somebody comes to them tomorrow and says, we'll offer you uh, a one and a three for Justin Fields, which is absurd to me, you're jumping at the chance. But if the first person comes to you and you're saying, we'll give you two fours for Justin Fields, you're like, yeah, I know. So you're keeping your options open. It's just playing the game, which is what we saw the Bears do last year with that one pick, and it ended up turning into a fruitful trade for them. But I think it not, not committing to Justin Fields yesterday was telling, but you also, they're just not going to play their hand so early either. I will be surprised if in week one next year, Justin Fields is their, their cute quarterback, or at the very least, doesn't have a rookie quarterback behind him on the roster. The Bears will find a way to screw this up. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, no matter what they do, it's going to be the wrong decision. That's just how it happens in Chicago. But, you know, they finally figured it out in Cleveland, even when we thought it was a disaster with Deshaun Watson coming in. Yet there they are playing this weekend in the playoffs with, what, four different quarterbacks this year that have won games for them. So that would never happen in Chicago, by the way. But then again, prior to this year, you could say that would never happen in Cleveland. So who knows? I do think Ryan Poles has a good idea of what he is wants to do, but that does maybe doesn't necessarily line up based on once you start really evaluating these college quarterbacks based on the trade market for Justin Fields, 
whatever the offensive coordinator is going to be. And I think maybe that's the most telling thing is once you bring in an offensive coordinator and the experience or lack thereof of that person, that's going to be telling in terms of the direction the Bears are leaning. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. Coming up on the other side, we'll kick off hour number two. Uh, despite Notre Dame having kind of an up and down couple first two years with Marcus Freeman, they position themselves well in this new era in college football. We're seeing top guys leaving college football and basketball. Notre Dame in a good spot, along with other in-state programs. We'll get to that next to start hour number two here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Just put in CK before your question, comment, or rant. Also, don't forget you can stream us, 1380thefan.com via the 1380 The Fan app, free for you to download or on your smart speaker. And as always, if you miss anything in hour number one, catch up on the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you should be able to download download that uh, around 1030 each and every morning after the show. Coming up this hour on the show, Notre Dame has positioned themselves well in this new college football playoff era with the portal and NIL. A lot of changes in college football with Nick Saban retiring and coaches moving on in college football and basketball, but Notre Dame well-positioned. Plus, Colts GM Chris Ballard is addressing the media. Take a look at some of the key questions we want answered from Ballard today. And a Chiefs defensive end, he's annoyed with the Peacock playoff game, so he's doing something about it. We'll get to that as well. And people eating Tide Pods back. Ah, oh joy. Just when you think we could put that behind us as a society and a people. (laughs) It's back. Nope, it's back with a vengeance. Can't wait. Plus, the NCAA shuts down an incredible idea. We'll uh, try to get to that as well at the end of the show. A couple of texts we want to get to before we get to Notre Dame as far as wrapping up and putting a bow on the Bears discussion. I am in the, the again, keeping Matt Eberflus I, I thought was a mistake. Keeping Justin Fields will be a mistake. A couple of texts. Uh, what would you two guys do if you were in control of the Bears picks? So, obviously, they have number one. I would trade number one and, and just get a haul for it like they did last year from Carolina. Just basically fleece another team. Make it yeah. two years in a row. And then you have the ninth pick. And whether you trade back to three or two or somewhere in the top five or even get out of the, the top ten altogether, uh, still get your quarterback, but know that you don't need to do it at number one. I guess if, if you do that and you trade back, that means not only you're not getting Caleb Williams, you're not getting Drake May, you're not probably getting Jaden Daniels either. So that's the thing. If you want to move on from Justin Fields, do you feel like your answer at quarterback is somebody you can get later on in the draft? Are you that in love with Michael Penix Jr.? Are you infatuated with someone else uh, later on? Um, I just, I, I'm not sure. Uh, my thing is, I think you, you trade, this is the beautiful thing for, for the bears is they're surrounded by teams in the top five that need quarterbacks. Washington needs a quarterback. They pick two, the Patriots, they need a quarterback. They pick three, the Cardinals, eh, is Kyler Murray going to stay healthy? I mean, he had a good finish to the season. 
I, I think they're they're feeling more confident in Kyler Murray than they did even two months ago. So at least you have two of the top picks of Patriots and the Commanders at number one and and at two and three, and you could get a haul for even those picks. So I do think if if you're asking my opinion with the Chicago Bears, you trade out of the one pick and you get another haul similar to what what Caleb wants to do and uh, take a quarterback somewhere else. Would the worst thing for the Chicago Bears, if they're not sold on Drake May or Caleb Williams, trade down to three, take Marvin Harrison Jr. at three, and then take the best available quarterback or the quarterback they like later in the draft at, say, nine? I'm on board with that. Like DJ Moore on one side and, and, and Marvin Harrison Jr. on the other side? Yeah, someone said Marvin Harrison is the only right option. That would require you trading down to three, right? And still getting a haul or trading down, which I will be shocked if the Bears keep the first pick. The It's so lucrative to trade that pick. I mean, the first mock draft that I even look at on the athletic is the Bears trading that pick to Atlanta, and the compensation would be the Bears get Atlanta's eight and their second round plus a future first and second round pick. That's what they did with Carolina last year. That's why they're sitting with the one pick right now and the nine. And that trade effectively got the coach and the GM fired from Carolina over the course of the season. So that is incredibly lucrative. If you're not sold on Caleb Williams, 100% sold, then it just makes too much sense to trade that pick. That doesn't necessarily mean you're committed to Justin Fields for next season. But it, all it means is you don't think Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in the draft. And you can absolutely get a haul. And if the Patriots now with Bill Belichick out, whoever comes in there, if it's Mike Vrabel, do they hire now a GM too? Sounds like they will. Does that, do they go all in on trying to get Caleb Williams if they're in love? Then Chicago's in a commanding position to maybe move down to three, take the best offensive player in the draft, and Marvin Harrison Jr., and go from there. Either way, I think we both still expect Caleb Williams to be the top pick. We do. I'm just not sold on him being the best quarterback coming out of this draft. He is the most talented, but as far as his style playing, working in the NFL, I have questions. And the inability to execute under pressure. And every quarterback is less effective when you put pressure on them. Correct. But I just saw a thoroughly confused and um, an inconsistent quarterback in Caleb Williams multiple times this season. It wasn't just Utah, right? Shutting him right. down. It was, it was Utah, Utah. It was Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. It was Washington. I mean, the list goes on. It was multiple teams that made this bona fide number one pick look average. And every team in the NFL has players on defense and is going to be able to rattle uh, Caleb Williams in some respects. How does he handle it? I, I don't know. I, I'm not sold on him as a number one pick. Someone's saying if Caleb Williams and Justin Fields is viewed as the same player, then why wouldn't you go for the cap space in trading Fields? Well, I think in that scenario, if they if they keep the number one pick, that means they're drafting Caleb Williams, but I also think they're finding a way to trade Justin Fields to another team. And I guess the texter's point is if if you think Caleb Williams and Justin Fields are similar in talent, then just keep Justin Fields and trade the pick. 
and it's it's not a bad suggestion. I don't think it's out of the out of the realm of possibility that Justin Fields stays and a rookie quarterback comes in. Even if if the Bears keep that number one pick, there's nothing to say that the Bears won't take Caleb Williams at one and keep Justin Fields for next season. It's just there's so many different scenarios for the Bears and what they could do. And someone's saying, now you're saying Caleb Williams and Bryce Young are the same person. <laughs> well, not necessarily, not but I do think the warning signs were there with Bryce Young that seemingly everybody said, well, his positives outweigh the negatives. And at least through one season, that hasn't been the case. And I think we're still we're seeing some of uh, things with Caleb Williams that are areas of concern. But once again, people are saying, well, the positives far outweigh the negatives. That hasn't been true with Bryce Young, and I'm not sure it necessarily will be the case with Caleb Williams because we saw Bryce Young have infinitely more confidence and success in his final season before the NFL than Caleb Williams did this past season. We shall see, but again, the size was always the issue with Bryce Young, and that's proven to be correct. So far, but again, it's only one season as far as sample size. I mean, if he's allowed a step stool in the pocket, <laughs> that will help a whole hell of a lot for Bryce Young. Like a, a motorized kind of thing that carries him around that gives him more space. <laughs> you could do that. So I can just, see. Well, I'm just saying, if he just carries a step stool out there and he takes the snap and he puts it down on the ground and he steps up on it, then he can look around. It's probably not allowed, huh? I don't think yeah, so. I, I, I don't think so. But anytime you talk about Bryce Young and his height, I immediately go back to. Reggie Ball in Georgia Tech having Calvin Johnson to throw to. Like that team was loaded with talent. Tashard Choice, <laughs> Calvin Johnson, oh, and Reggie Ball, and all 5'11 and really 5'10. Uh, yeah, 5'10 tops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is uh it was bad. I mean, but but even Reggie, like all you did to do is just throw it up and let Choice yes. or or uh Megatron go after it. Correct. Just uh yeah, I do remember those teams. It's it's amazing as we, we, we transition here real quick, but I want to throw this in because we talked about Purdue losing and Houston losing, and then last night you had Kansas lose to what, UCF? Yes, and Tennessee, Tennessee lost, lost as well. So you have, in the, in the matter of two days, four of the top five teams in the country lose, which, as you mentioned, will vault number four UConn up to number one next, next week. Which, UConn, I've said this for a while, I, I'm picking UConn to go back-to-back. Something really? would have to drastically change to, uh, with UConn to change my mind. You don't think Kansas has no. a shot? Come on. Hunter Dickinson winning games that actually <laughs> matter? Come on. Give me a break. Uh, not true, trusting Houston? Not trusting Purdue? Uh, Houston, I think, will... It'll catch up to them just having the, the grind of the Big 12 for the first time. Not having... you know, it, It's just different, right? Uh, not trusting Purdue. I, Purdue not to win, to win it all. No, to get to the final four just depends on the the matchups or the first round matchup for that matter. I'm not worried or about Purdue. the first round. All right, we'll take care of business. Four six eight six two is the text line number again. Four six eight six two. Notre Dame well positioned in this new college football era. We talked last hour about Marcus Freeman. He's kind of a fringe candidate for the Alabama job. The real concern is that. The trickle-down effect in, in coaching searches. If someone else goes, then he could be a candidate somewhere else. That's really the only concern. But outside of that, and to me, really the biggest concern is the Ohio State job. And if that opens up, he's probably going there, and that's fine. You 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 knew that was always going to be a possibility. But for Notre Dame, 
they've set themselves up well. The Marcus Freeman hiring, you get a coach who embraces recruiting, unlike their prior coach. Um, a, a guy who's worked the portal really well these last two off seasons. I mean, Notre Dame just added another corner in the secondary from Northwestern as a transfer. They've given him the tools. I'll be belatedly when it comes to hiring coordinators for success. They, they get Mike Denbrock. They give him big money. They've kept Al Golden. They've they extended his contract. So Notre Dame has done everything on their end to set themselves up for success in this new era. They even extended the NBC deal and, and Notre Dame is in a position where they can be proactive and not reactive to changes in college football. And they're still well positioned with how things are. They're happy to extend that deal. They clearly got the money they wanted between NBC and the ACC to make it work, not have to jump to the big 10 or the ACC. And when you look at it in college football, I mean, you're, you're seeing guys move on. I mean, Nick Saban retiring Jimbo Fisher He's out of the game. Where does he go, right? Um, in college basketball, you saw Roy Williams, Coach K, Jay Wright, Jim Beheim all leave in a matter of a couple of years. NIL on the portal has changed the game. We're not seeing these guys who've stuck around for 30-plus years of programs. It's just not, not the reality anymore. And I think Notre Dame has got themselves in position to have a coach who is embracing these changes and not pushing back against them like a Dabo and can stay at Notre Dame. And as long as he wants, as long as the success is there. And it seems like at least in the short term, the success will be there. All that can change with somebody throwing big money at Marcus Freeman for whatever reason. Yes. Um, especially if the, 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 the seat under Ryan day continues to heat up. Now I, I scoff when people saying it's even at a certain temperature now, but you never know in Columbus because that if if Marcus Freeman has success at Notre Dame, inevitably there's going to be a time where Ohio State is looking for a coach and they're going to immediately target Marcus Freeman. And can Notre Dame weather that? I don't know. I don't know if Marcus Freeman looks at Ohio State as his dream job. A lot more pressure at Ohio State. Which is shocking to say, Notre Dame and Ohio State. It's true. But here's the thing. Absolutely. Here's the thing with Notre Dame is in the 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 four the the, the four team playoff, you looked at Notre Dame, a one loss team, more often than not, will be in the playoff, depending on kind of what that one loss is. But you looked at it, Notre Dame, if they go eleven and one, they'll probably be in the college football playoff. Okay, unless there's just a whole jumble of things in front of them. Now you look at it and say, if Notre Dame just goes 10-2, and two, they're in the playoff. And you look at the 2024 schedule and you say, easy. Should be 10-2 at, the, at, the, at least. So that's where it changes. The expectations and what you need to do in the regular season changes from margin of error to just one game to now two games for Notre Dame in particular. It's different because they don't have an automatic qualifier, not in the league. We've said at Aussie they should be in a league, but they're almost at a benefit because now they don't have to play a 13th game that could cost them a third loss. They only have to play 12. That's true. That's a It's a good way to look at it because they're not adding that extra data point, which, yes, could push some teams in over them, but also it's not going to push them out, right? Because that third loss could push them out. 
And I think that's the, something that a lot of people have pointed to in the four-team playoff is, oh, oh, Notre Dame doesn't have that 13th metric to impress the the voters but and the committee, but I think it works opposite too. They don't have that 13th metric that could be a negative to them. Let's throw Notre Dame in the Big Ten, for example, and they're all of a sudden playing a 13th game in in the college foot or in the uh, championship weekend against an Oregon or of Ohio State, and they lose that game, and then they're ten and three, they're out. But now, if they go ten and two, they can sit pretty because in the ten team in the twelve team playoff, a ten and two Notre Dame team is in, unless those two losses are to Navy and Northern Illinois, for example. That's kind of where you look at it at for Notre Dame. They're sitting pretty heading into this now. When we get into talk discussion about the conferences and money and all that stuff, that's a different conversation. But when you look strictly at the playoff, Notre Dame is in a position of, of advantage, except if it's a top four seed and doesn't get a buy. And there, yeah, that's the wild card. So there were two teams ranked in the top 12, the AP poll that had three losses. It was Arizona at 11, LSU at 12. Notre Dame was 14th and 10 and three. So they'd still be in that conversation with what they did this past season uh, based on the future. Now, best case scenario, though, like you're probably not going to get in at nine and three unless those three losses are insane. Yeah, they don't play the schedule anymore that they used to to put themselves in that position either. Correct. At least not. I mean, this past year, let's say if you're let's hypothetically say if Notre Dame was in the playoff conversation and it was a 12-team playoff for 2023 with that schedule. And their three losses were their three losses. They weren't in, right? Yeah, no, they'd be out because they don't have a, a marquee win. But I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could lose three games in the end. They just would need a lot of help. But a two-team, a two-loss Notre Dame team will be in the playoff every single year. And then you build in that that basically that buffer. And you don't have to worry about conference championship weekend. You can sit back and watch teams just cancel themselves out, play themselves out of the playoff as much as play themselves in while you relax and wait for your seeding at 10 and 2. And the only thing that Notre Dame has to worry about, at least in the short term, if that Ohio State job ever opens up, that's it's the only thing you got to worry about. And by that point, who knows? Maybe Tommy Reese, where wherever he ends up. Next year, maybe he's ready for that Notre Dame job. Who knows? I think if it, while 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 some people may fear that time, I think it's also it. Look, if if Ohio State next time around when they're hiring for whoever replaces Ryan Day, whenever that happens, if Ohio State is interested in Marcus Freeman, that means Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame have had a considerable amount of success, and that's a good thing in the end for Notre Dame. Four six eight six two again. Your text line number four six eight six two. Coming up on the other side. Colts general manager Chris Ballard is addressing the media today. The questions we have for him and the things he needs to address. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Thanks for joining us on your Thursday. We're just discussing the break, the impending snowstorm that may or may not come tomorrow snowstorm that may or may not be a storm kind of just breaking it out all depends on when it turns to snow from rain to snow we shall all see about timing yeah the, we'll be here regardless yes we will be here regardless for sure uh so the colts 
Uh, GM Chris Ballard set to address the media coming up today and taking a look at some of the questions we have for Ballard. I think they're quite a bit, but in a different direction because last year, right, there are a million questions. And here we are a year later, and he's answered a lot of them. I will give him credit because that hire of Shane Steichen, I think, is, is seemed to fix a lot of issues for this franchise. But there are still things to address for the Colts, and you still miss the playoffs. You're still hoping that Anthony Richardson is the franchise quarterback. You at least drafted a quarterback. That was a step you took. But you don't have really any more semblance of, of what you knew going into the season than, and now, right? It's essentially the same. You have a very small sample size. It felt pretty good when he did play, but it's so limited, it's not enough to draw sweeping conclusions from. No, I agree, and it's, it's it'll be the biggest question through the offseason and into the regular season, as long as Anthony Richards can stay healthy, on what kind of quarterback he can be. Um, and real quick, before we start talking details on the Colts, the Colts actually, at least, as we know right now, won't have to worry about playing in Europe next year as some news has come out this morning about those European games. The Bears and the Vikings will play in London. The Jacksonville Jaguars, shockingly, will also play (laughs) in London. And Carolina will head to Germany to play. The only matchup we know for sure is the Bears and the Vikings in London. So those are the Jacksonville and Carolina, the other two teams that we know of heading over to Europe for the 2024 season. So no Colts as of right now. And no Cowboys, because Jerry Jones wants to hold on to that home game. Yes, no, money. no, for sure. And I uh, get it. Jerry has uh, plenty of power, for sure. But looking at the Colts, I, th- I think it's a pivotal offseason in this respect. Okay, So you have different questions, because the questions last year were Anthony Richardson, but also Shane Steigen. Is he the right guy? I think we've seen enough over the course of one season to say, yes, he is. But the Colts have taken a step forward, but the biggest step is to come. And I think you need to get you need to take two steps. You're not at the top step yet, but you are a playoff contender. You need to become a division legit division championship team. Like uh, Houston, they won the division, but it was like you're not impressed by whoever won the South. Just like yeah, okay, I guess you know, the there least were th- bad. There teams. were three fringe playoff teams, and the team we expected going into the season to dominate is the team that missed out in Jacksonville. Right. You, you didn't go twelve and five and run away with the division, or thirteen and four, or whatever. You you won it with ten and seven uh, with with the Texans, and the only other comparable league or the league or division you were better than that was the South, effectively in the NFC. So you have to become a legit double-digit win team. That's the next step for the Colts. And then after that, you have to vault up another step to be a true Super Bowl contender. The Colts are still two steps below that. But how do they take that next step? And that's why I think that the the decisions made this offseason will set the tone for that, at least in the short term, in terms of who you bring back, who you bring in for free agency, your draft. You're on the cusp of being a double-digit win team. Of course, a lot of it is predicated on Anthony Richardson for sure. So you you talked about kind of some of the the questions I had. So my first question is, what is needed to win the division to make a run, right? Because that's the the jump they need to make. They at least show they could contend for the playoffs. Didn't make the playoffs, but winning the division. And if Anthony Richardson turns out 
to, to be the guy and be the franchise quarterback, obviously that's on the table. Then I think my next question is who is priority number one to resign this offseason? There are a lot of key guys the Colts need to resign or at least have to consider resigning. Obviously, the top of that list is Gardner Minshew to have that insurance policy at backup quarterback. You have Michael Pittman Jr., you have Grover Stewart, you have Kenny Moore. The list goes on, but those are some of the highlights in terms of you have to make decisions and you probably can't afford to keep all four of those guys, right? And that's the biggest thing is who is priority number one to make sure you get a deal and that they're an Indianapolis Colt for the 2024 season. That's the, the, the big goal, and I think also it comes back to me for Anthony Richardson. He's the key to not only jumping out and vaulting into that, that, next, that next tier, but also can hide deficiencies that you have on, your, on in the rest of your team. Your deficiencies on your team are magnified when you do not have a franchise quarterback, okay? And conversely, your other issues can be hidden, by having a franchise quarterback, you go through and you look at the 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 teams that made the playoffs this year. First in the AFC, you go Bills. Okay, and and I'm going to say franchise quarterback loosely, but I'm saying you have an established quarterback. Josh okay? Allen is the franchise jo- quarterback. Jo- okay, but I'm going to say in general. So you yeah. go Josh Allen. Yes, Miami. Yes, in terms of Tua, you go Chiefs. Obviously, you have Ravens. Obviously, okay. The only outlier, I mean, you say C.J. Stroud, okay, he's on his way. The only outliers for me in the AFC are Cleveland and Pittsburgh. In Cleveland, I mean, they feel like they have it. In Deshaun Watson, he was just hurt. Yeah, right. he, he hardly had any so impact. There's an, there's an asterisk there. And then Pittsburgh, yes, they're very much trying to figure it out. So two of the seven teams in the AFC, you say, okay, got there despite less than ideal quarterback situations. I think that's fair. Then you go to the NFC. You go Dallas, set with Dak. You go Jalen Hurts with the Eagles. Brock Purdy with the 49ers. You look at Matt Stafford with the Rams. You look at uh, Jared Goff in Detroit. And then who? Uh, then you look at Jordan Love with the Packers, who they think they, the only outlier is Tampa Bay with Baker Mayfield. The, all, the six of the seven teams in the NFC have established quarterback spots legit qb ones you can debate franchise quarterback or not but their their quarterback battles are settled okay so that's all but so three of your 14 teams in the nfl have what you would say quarterback issues that made the playoff there's not a lot okay then you look at the teams that didn't make the playoffs and there's quarterback issues galore well and there will be four teams at at least next season who make the playoffs that didn't make it this season. It's always a turnaround thing. So Correct. so still, the most important thing for the Indianapolis Colts is to establish Anthony Richardson if he is the guy. Because if he's not the guy, the Colts are going to regress next year. If, if, if Anthony Richardson is healthy and plays all 17 games, which let's say at least plays 12 plus, then the Colts will regress if he's not good enough. That's just the, the, the how it's going to go. So I think that the key for the Indianapolis Colts a lot of these peripheral things that we're talking about in terms of which players they bring back, which players they bring in, draft, all that stuff. The single most important, though, is if Anthony Richardson can be your bona fide QB1. Then you you talk about making additions and, and what you do with your roster. We talked about the, the players that are on the table to be re-signed, but you also have over $70 million in cap space. So what position is the top priority? Now, that could be someone in-house. It could be 
someone who's a free agent externally, but what are you going to do with all that cap space and what position do you, do you think is priority number one to address? Well, is it, is it it's wide receiver to me? I, I would agree. I would agree. It's wide receiver. But the Indianapolis Colts have a propensity to be loyal to their players. Yes. And I, I think they think that Michael Pittman Jr. is a one. I don't think he is. I would agree with you on that as well. But I think if if they went out and made a serious play for T. Higgins, it would be surprising to me. I think they should. He could get franchised by the Bengals, which would take him off the market. I, I would say there's a better 50 than 50% chance that that happens. But if he's available to, to make an offer, the Indianapolis Colts should do it. Now, is T. Higgins a one? Yes. I think he's a one. He's not a one in Cincinnati because you have Jamar Chase. But I think he's a legit now, one T, on T. Higgins team. would be a one on the Colts. Yes, that's what no I'm doubt. saying. That's what I'm saying. I think he's a one elsewhere at most places. He's not in Cincinnati because Jamar Chase is a one. I mean, maybe you could say in Cincinnati it's a 1A and 1B with Higgins and Chase. But he is a bona fide, proven, in my opinion, number one receiver in this league that Michael Pittman Jr. isn't. But if we're looking at a priority, so if we say wide receiver is the top priority, that you look at linebacker? Linebacker, secondary, which the secondary is young. Part of it's just youth and injuries, right? Maybe they can bring in Stephon Gilmore to kind of be a calming (laughs) influence (laughs) back into that defense. (laughs) Right? If only they didn't just give him away (laughs) for nothing. But I would say linebacker help on Zaire Franklin. Shaq Leonard, of course, done. So uh, who helps that position? I think it's upgrading at other positions, but singly the most important is, is Anthony Richardson. And I quite frankly wouldn't mind if the Colts went out and signed a one of the top offensive linemen out there. Yes, that's available. You can always use offensive. You're always linemen. looking for linemen. And then the final thing that I had, outside of kicker and punter, I mean Matt Gay was great, Rigoberto Sanchez was great, but he's also a free agent. Keep that in mind. Special teams was a struggle this year for the Colts. A lot yeah. of mistakes. And Brian Mason, who came over from Notre Dame, first-year special teams coordinator, I don't think he's going anywhere in terms of the staff, but you have a a really good punter who's a free agent. You have your kicker, but beyond that, special teams were not special, to put it bluntly. No, not at all. It was a lot to be desired for the special teams unit for the Indianapolis Colts, but I think people are looking at 2024 as taking that next step with the Indianapolis Colts, but it is completely predicated on Anthony Richardson. I think you maxed out what you could do with Gardner Minshew, but the ceiling cannot be that with Anthony Richardson, if he indeed is your quarterback of the future. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. View of thoughts on the top priority for Chris Ballard to address this offseason, let us know. On the text line, just put in CK before your message. Coming up on the other side, a Chiefs player was fed up with the Chiefs and Dolphins game on Peacock, so he's doing something about it. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Text wrapping up our conversation on the Colts. As Chris Ballard set to address the media today at 46862. CK, T. Higgins is not a one. Pittman is first priority as the security blanket slash chain mover will be open all the time for Anthony Richardson. I draft a wide receiver or Bowers in the first T Higgins 
is not a one in Cincinnati. I think for a lot of other teams, though, he is a one. I will agree with you on that. As far as Michael Pittman Jr., I mean, he's a possession guy. The Colts already have a good possession guy in Josh Downs. And the only thing that, that Pittman has over Downs is size. So yeah. T. Higgins has size. The thing is, is are you going to pay Pittman like a one? He's you not know they one. will, but right. they shouldn't. They shouldn't. I, I really think, because the Colts are, to a fault sometimes, loyal to the guys that they've drafted or brought in or otherwise. I think, I think Michael Pittman gets paid. I do like the idea of drafting a Brock Bowers or a wide receiver. You may have to trade up a couple picks to get Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers will go in the top 10. The Colts are going to have to make a move if you're going to get yeah, Brock Potentially Bowers. on draft night to have to trade up. I wonder if they may not trade in the top 10, but you know, 12 on, 11 on if he's there, making a draft night trade to move up. Not sure. But I would see, I, I, I just, I'm not convinced that Michael Pittman can be that guy. He, he's been given every chance to, to lay claim to that one spot and really hasn't been able to. He's good. He's not a game breaker. He's not a legit number one wide receiver in the league. And that's the difference. He's a possession guy. Yes. He's a good possession guy, but he's not a one. Meanwhile, Chiefs defensive end Charles Ominahu is calling the decision for the playoff game between the Chiefs and Dolphins on Peacock insane, but then he decided to do something about it. He's giving away 93-month subscriptions to fans on social media, Aww. announcing winners coming up tomorrow. Now, the game will be broadcast on local TV in Kansas City and Miami anyway. That's how it works with, with exclusive Peacock games in the local markets. People can still watch over the air. But the NFL is limited on cable as it is. NFL Network has a couple of games, obviously Monday Night Football on ESPN, but the simulcast has uh, on ABC, which was most of the season, and they'll probably look to continue that based on its success. The NFL, uh, yes, I get that they're walking a fine line with streaming, but the NFL is way more hey, accessible man. compared to baseball and basketball yeah. and hockey. I, I think it's just Money NFL talks. fans not realizing the market and how, like, I don't know. I have zero problem with the I, game being on Peacock. because I, I, I get it. I get why oh, they're I, doing what they're doing. I get it, too. Money talk. Like, if, if NBC I'm more upset... To- with the Monday night football playoff yeah, game. Yeah, I don't get the Monday I don't get the Monday playoff game. I don't like it. Um, and that's a conversation for another time. But I have no problem with games being on stream. Because the the point is for you to get that streaming, sir. That's what they want. That's that's the that's the play that NBC is making. And the NFL is like, hey, you know what? If you want to pay X amount of money to us to broadcast that game and put it on your streaming service, we don't care. We're getting the money anyway from the deal. And so I have no problem with it beyond Peacock, but that game is going to be a must watch because it is going to be so damn cold in Kansas city on Saturday night. Like the, the, the temp kickoffs will be like negative five or something like oh. that. Like it is going to be insane. So if you don't have Peacock, find a way to get it. Cause you're going to want to watch that game. Coming up next tide pods back in the news. Hey, hey, we'll wrap it up here on a Thursday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380, the fan, and 100.9 FM. Wrapping things up here on a Thursday. Unfortunately, the NCAA has turned down the relevant bowl between college football's two worst teams. No chance to receive a waiver per one of the report. Best ideas I've seen in a while. Yes. And one of the worst things I've seen in a while, well, really since the first go round, but Tide Pods being consumed, it's back. Mm. So after this was a craze, what, five, six years ago? Of reports of people eating Tide Pods. Now three people in Taiwan hospitalized after eating 
Tide Pods handed out as freebies during the country's current presidential campaign. The trio have not been publicly named. They mistook the Tide Pods for candy. Okay, they mistakenly did it, at least. One was an 80-year-old man. A second was identified as an 86-year-old woman. All three victims had their stomachs flushed by doctors, expecting to make a full recovery. Um, But this is wild. 460,000 pods distributed by a Nationalist Party office on behalf of a presidential candidate, Ho Yu-E. Did he win? Well, I think it's still ongoing. But the the head of that party apologized. Uh, They said they're not going to distribute it. They said they stressed to villagers through organizations they are laundry balls, not candies. I can see that. You know, you, it's it's a village. You're mm-hmm. you're not used to you know today's amenities. You're handed this colorful little pouch. You know what is this thing? I'm gonna eat it. I get it. It happens. At least they're not purposely eating them. Correct. Well, and people were eating them back in 2018 and they were blamed for at least 10 deaths two from toddlers which is awful eight from senior citizens with dementia also awful but hopefully this doesn't become a new trend again we, we don't need this to be a thing again no i mistakenly think toddlers uh the elderly i get the the, the crazies that are just doing it's it. the people doing it on for tiktok Consciously or whatever doing it i just yes, i can't insane so but uh hopefully the Taiwanese, they, they wisen up, no, not to eat the Tide Pods. But that's an interesting tactic. Hey, vote for me. Here, help, I'll help you do your laundry. <laughs> whatever whatever it takes. Or give you a snack, depending on how yeah, you depending interpret Depending on it. how you take that. <laughs> True. Or both. Who knows? That wraps it up for us today. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick, up next. The Herd with Colin Cowherd coming up at noon. Indiana Sports Meet with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump. Another chance to win circus tickets. All here today on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.